Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Advancement and Mobilization for ABWE International, joined by Scott Dunford, Lead Church Planter for Redeemer Church in Fremont, California, and ABWE West Coast Mobilizer. Yeah, there we go. That's a mouthful. I had to take my brain off of autopilot to uh, to share that new title, but you're in your role, and uh, you've uh, been through that transition and of course, hopefully our audience remembers uh, the conversation that we had with Bob Bixie, Bixby a little while ago, and uh, they're continuing to pray for you and your family. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to be doing some of these episodes uh, over the phone and over our web app that'll allow us to uh, converse that way. So that'll be new and be interesting for us all. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm excited for it. I'm going to miss seeing you here in the studio, though. Yeah, that'll be a, a new dynamic for us, but uh, maybe we'll be more focused. <laughs> absence makes the heart absence makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> sure. So th- this morning, though, speaking of teams and speaking of separation and moving and geography, those sorts of things, we want to address a topic that Scott, I, I'm kind of surprised we haven't done an episode on this already. Um, we want to talk about. Um, what we think from what we've seen and even some statistics that we've stumbled across over the years tends to be the number one mission, the number one reason that missionaries go home. And if I were to just throw that out at you, you know, maybe take off your expert hat for a second, Scott, what would you assume would be some of the, the number one reasons that missionaries get sent home or, or decide to go home or resign? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the reasons that you would think would be, you know, cultural pressures, um, financial pressures, you know, nobody maybe, got saved. Yeah. You, you know, didn't, didn't work out cause you weren't good at it, you know? Um, and, and yet, um, from what we hear, at least the strongly anecdotally within the missions community, there's another reason that, that it all the time is brought up. And I, and I think even from experience, we'd say, yeah, it's true. Makes sense. And, I know it, go ahead. Are you, am I going to reveal? Yeah, you reveal. Be, okay. It would be team dynamics. Yeah. And, and I want to bring, I just want to thank also one of our listeners, um, Adam Kovac for, for bringing this up. He, he sent us a question about this. We, we don't get a lot of questions like, Hey, address this topic, yeah. but he did send it something we, we wanted to do anyway. So I'm really thankful for him kind of bringing it to the forefront. Keep those questions coming by the way, Alex at missionspodcast.com. Uh, so let's talk about team dynamics, Scott, uh, especially from your experience on the field. What are some of the conflicts that happen on a team and even just help us think through the composition of teams sometimes too, because you're, sometimes you're dealing with people that, you know, sometimes you're dealing with people, maybe even from, from other agencies, um, teams can be pretty diverse, but what are the conflicts that happen? Yeah. I mean, I think that you, you, the situation is unlike anything else in the world, really, Yeah. where, where often, um, you've got a couple, sometimes a whole family and sometimes an individual that, that are, that are dropped into a very difficult situation um, from, a, you know, with a language they don't know or don't know very well. Um, people that they've only met a couple times, if ever, um, in a foreign country that they've only been to a handful of times and it maybe had a great experience there, but now they're moving there not just to like go vacation and see the hot spots, but actually to live there. And you're put into a situation where you're like, okay, here's your coworkers and here's your best friends for the next 20 years of your life. Go. Mm-hmm. Um, that alone sounds like a recipe for disaster. <laughs> well, and even think about, okay, think about the military. Yeah. People that deploy and serve overseas in a different kind of way. 
Um, but with the U.S. military, it, it, everybody that you're, you're that, the, that you're in the foxhole with, mm-hmm. you know, is a part of your same branch, and they've been. Um, you know, inundated and indoctrinated in the same exact things as you have, and they've been through the same trainings. Um, but imagine if you took an American soldier, a British soldier, a French soldier, and a mercenary, and threw them all, you know, in Afghanistan somewhere, and said, you know, set up camp. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's almost analogous to that. They might be generally fighting for the same kind of causes, but in completely different ways with different sets of experiences that just to make an analogy, that's kind of a similar dynamic. Yeah. And so even in an organization like ours, which I mean, we do a lot of theological screening. Uh, we do a lot of um psychological screening. We do a lot of training. I mean, I would say, you know, as far as the mission agencies goes, we're on the heavy end of that. Um, there are some that have very minimal, some that have even more, but you know, we're, we're standard to high levels of training and, and, uh, background checking and all those kind of things that are out there. Uh, even with that, you still have a lot of, uh, and even like theological agreement. Like, so we, we have a pretty narrow theological statement. So you have, yeah. a, you have, you have a, a pretty similar kind of person joining our mission. Um, but even with that, you're still going to the field with, with different expectations, different responsibilities from church, different backgrounds. And then now you're, you know, you're putting in a situation where you're going to do um, some of the hardest things together, which is, you know, plant churches and reach indigenous communities with the gospel and work in uh, high stress situations like, you know, missionary hospitals. And um, you you could have disagreements on everything from, um, you know, you know, what is the best style of, of preaching and teaching um, to to how are we going to manage our workflow here in this hospital slash mission situation? Um, and that's where conflicts inevitably come up. So let's talk about why these conflicts get so amplified. We've talked about it a little bit. You know, if if you were to study um, culture shock, mm-hmm. it's kind of a bell curve effect. There's a, a period, you know, where it where it's at its highest uh, intensity, and yeah. then it, and then it slopes off after that. But there's a switch that happens usually in in culture shock, where for a period of time you're really annoyed and bothered by the people whose culture and language you're trying to learn. You mm. you're separated from your own native culture and language and, and people, family, friends, and you're really bothered by these other people that you know, everything they're doing annoys you. Why, why mm. do they do it that? Why do they look at me that way? Why do yeah. they talk like that? Um, why do they shake my hand that way or not shake my hand, et cetera? Um, but but then there's kind of a switch that happens, isn't there, where all of a sudden you're more drawn towards them and you might be a little bit more annoyed or alienated by your Western colleagues. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit, I think, when we talked about member care and burnout and things like that. But uh, this has been my this was my experience. And I, I think everyone's different. But when I've shared this story with others, I think others related to this where you have you have that um, the mission trip. Uh, euphoria that, you know, those who've been overseas and lived overseas, uh, honeymoon, kind of smile at those people when, you know, they come, I, you know, I was, I remember sitting in a, it was actually a class for my MBA and, and we had an international experience that was part of it. And these, these two uh, women had gone to Africa and they came back and, and they were just, you know, euphoric about their experience and everything was about how much better that culture was. So it was, you know, look at these people. They're always happy. What a challenge to me because they're always happy, you know, and everything about their culture was always great. And our <laughs> culture, you know, like, so there's that, and, and you know, you, you realize, okay, that was just, you got a tourist view. You didn't 
right. live with those people, work with those people to realize they have their ups and downs too. Yeah. You know, like they were treating you as a celebrated and honored guest and every day you were there was a party, but that isn't the way they normally live their lives. It's like everybody in the South is always nice and hospitable. <laughs> <laughs> well, though that's a cultural thing. Right. There's a veneer and you right. look, it's the same kind of thing happened over, overseas. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's true with good and bad things. You know, it's like, Pennsylvanians aren't always rude, you know. Um, <laughs> sorry, Alex. Well, I'm uh, from Philly, so actually we are. <laughs> <laughs> but, Study of brotherly shove. There you go. But um, but there 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 is a, this 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 adjustment period where you come in and everything's novel and neat and interesting, and then uh, it does get hard and frustrating. Um, and um, one you know one of the interesting things for at least my experience with culture shock is that when I was dealing with the most culture stress. Uh, which is another way of saying culture shock. It wasn't coming out in my frustration with the nationals. It was coming out in my frustration with the other Americans that I was working with. Um, and it wasn't until later that I was able to look back and go like part of the reason why I was extremely frustrated with them uh, was really because of what I was going through stress wise. And if you study like what are the major causes of stress moving you know, education, you know, I mean, all those factors, like every single thing in your life is uprooted. Um, and that, that's just the makings of, of an incredibly stressful situation. And that's a helpful distinguishment that you make there between culture shock and culture stress. Culture shock kind of carries with it the idea that it's a once and done sort of thing. It's a, it's, it, it, yeah. it's a, it's an event, whereas stress is something that is maybe continuous exists at a high level or a low level. Yeah. Well, y y when you're learning a language, that's very stressful. When you're moving, that's very stressful. When you're figuring out uh, financial structures, that's very stressful. When you're switching kids' schools, that's very stressful. And then and then you're meeting new teammates, starting a new job, and all these things, and then you put it all together, and that's a recipe it. for incredible stress. Yeah. So when you we think teammates struggle with relationships, well, you know, when you and your wife are going through a very stressful time, you know, are you guys always happy and chirpy with each other? Or is there times when you kind of give each other dirty looks, you know, because of the stress seeping out? Well, I, you know? I never do. Well, of course, I, you and I, you know, <laughs> we're, we're special. But, the, but others that listen probably relate to that. You also mentioned when we were preparing for the show, again, using like a marriage analogy. Yeah. When you're driving in the car on the way to church mm -hmm. and you, there's, you know, there's the bickering, there's whatever, and then you get out and all of a sudden everybody's all smiles and you know carrying their their little kids in tow and their bibles um you know under their arms as they're walking and and th there's this similar thing in uh, on the mission field where you know you, you need to put your best foot forward but at the same time your family your teammates they get to see the, the best and the worst of you and there's no there's no hiding who you really are with those people is there yeah well l less and less so you know so yeah well i may keep a good face for the nationals that i'm working with or the people i'm trying to reach um yeah the the, the people who i probably feel the most comfortable with and safest with are probably going to be the people that I'm going to have the most conflict with in the same way that um, I'm going to put a good face on for strangers here in the States. And, you know, if I'm going to be rude to anybody, it's going to be rude to my wife and kids in the car. But um, at, at least with my wife and kids, you know, I covenanted before God with my wife and mm -hmm. we made the decision to um, bring our daughter into the world and to adopt our son. Right. Whereas with your teammates, 
you might not have even met them before you got mm-hmm. there or you took a, a survey trip or a vision trip. Um, but, you know, again, to use a military analogy, the people that you're in the foxhole with are not the ones that you went through BT with. Yeah. You didn't train alongside them originally yeah. nine times out of 10, you know, so you're jumping into a pre-existing team full of other people who have been formed and shaped by different experiences. Um, so there's the same level of intimacy and transparency where you can't hide the worst side of you without necessarily the same level of covenantal commitment to each other. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, part of the stress can come because we recognize, okay, there's a unique milieu or stew that you're, Ooh, that you're soaking milieu. in. Yeah. That we're soaking in. Um, Sorry, that was a good word. Thank you. Uh, that, that can bring out stress. Okay. It's not an excuse for it, but it just brings out what we're struggling with internally. Um, but I think also, even, even when you have, even when you have uh very compatible teammates. Um, there can also be these uh, issues of conflict and around lack of unity of around the mission. And so, you know, we work really hard uh, to to say, okay, this is what we believe the role of missions is. This is what we think um, our strategy for church planting. All these things. But even within that, there's room for interpretation. And so that I think that would be a place of conflict on teams where I've got a clear vision of what God's called me to go do. And so there's a spiritual, like almost crusade mentality. And so you got two people that feel like they're on a mission from God, you know, to steal from the blues brothers, you know, and uh, they're, they're on a mission from God. And when those two missions from God come into conflict, you know, it's not like, Oh, Oh, you, you know, you're on a mission from God too. So I guess I'll defer to you. No, it's like, I've got a compelling push to do what I think that God has called me to do. And, and so that, that, ups the ante in their personal relationships. Right, because there's also external pressures yeah. relating to that vision, too, yeah. that you might have different sending churches right. that sent them for different reasons. Uh, if you're raising support, you've just spent the last you know year or two or more um, speaking with hundreds of individuals, mm-hmm. uh, sharing your vision. So you're not going to relinquish that quickly. You're not going to, you can't make adjustments on the fly. You almost feel like you, if, if you have to change the vision that you've articulated to people, you might be betraying your, your financial partners. Yeah, you feel like, wow, I, you know, I'm letting everyone down. The truth, which is not true. It right? isn't true. Most people in the States are smarter than missionaries give them credit for. You if know? they sent you to, to be a missionary, yeah, the, so changes of strategy happen. They do happen. But as a missionary, you don't necessarily, you, you feel the pressure of, I told people I would do X, and now I'm doing Y. And I'm going to have to give an account for that. And it gives us a sense of like almost righteous indignation when we don't get to do what we want to do. Um, but but sometimes it just comes down to communication. I, I When we got to the field, you know, I, I had felt like I had talked to everyone about what I wanted to do. I'd communicated it to my top boss who was located in the States. Um, we communicated this to our churches and landed on the field, got into my team setting and realized my team leader had never been told um, what I was there to do. And um, and that, that became a real source of conflict for us. Um, for almost a year, um, we had to work through that. I mean, it eventually did get resolved and uh, and did go forward, but it wasn't without pain. Um, and it was because of a, a lack of communication between what was going on, you know, in the state side of things. And I, so I was coming to the field with a very clear vision and it ran right into conflict with the vision that, um, our team leader had at that time. So, I mean, that, that, that can happen. And, and, I, and the burden of that, you know, and sometimes there's a burden of, 
um, I don't know if my, you know, church would want me to do this, you know, and, yeah. and you're having to adjust some of those things. Yeah. That, that invisible audience that you think of always evaluating what you're doing, all that makes me think of the biblical example of the conflict that Paul had with Barnabas. Mm. Um, I think it's a pretty, pretty clear uh, yeah. analogy there in Acts chapter 15. Um, so they've been on their missionary journeys at this point. Uh, this is after the Jerusalem council, um, just to set up where it is in the book of Acts. And then in verse 36, I'll just read, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of God and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them uh, to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Uh, A question that comes to mind for me, Scott, as I read this is who was right, Barnabas or Paul? I don't know if Scripture gives us a clear answer. Yeah. Um, Now, Paul later, uh, and somebody out there can correct me or tweet at me and and give me the reference. In in one of his epistles, Paul says, by the way, bring bring Mark with you. Mm -hmm. He's he's like a son to me now. You know, he kind of he, he kind of makes amends with him. I want to say it's at this, the end of Second Timothy, but I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I don't I don't think Scripture necessarily gives us this story to show us who was right or who was wrong. And maybe that reflects on some of our conflicts. Is there's not always someone right and someone wrong. I think that when in the middle of conflict, there is this human tendency to to make our adversary two dimensional. And to hold us as three-dimensional. So what I mean by that is, is we we want to make a caricature out of the person we're against. So like clearly, I'm, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm I'm complicated. You know, like I, you, you should understand when I blow up that like I have a well-meaning heart, um, but you when you blow up, it's because you're a bad person. Yeah. You know, and, and we see in, the, in this example of Paul and Barnabas here, we see obviously two really really godly people. Um, and was it was it wrong for Barnabas to show more grace or was it wrong for Paul to hold John Mark accountable? No. <laughs> right. They were both operating within their wiring and Luke doesn't give us enough information for us to make a determination. Barnabas was the son of encouragement. You know, that's what his name means. And Paul, we know, was a pretty intense guy. Yeah. So so I think we can look from that and say, you know what? Conflict sometimes is inevitable. But it doesn't mean that, that, one, it doesn't give us an excuse for acting in an ungodly way. Um, but two, it doesn't mean that just because there's conflict and breakup doesn't mean that God isn't in that either. Yeah, because God see, sovereignly works. That's the beauty of that passage. It keeps yeah. going. Who knows? Maybe if Marcus stayed with, John Marcus stayed with Paul, we wouldn't, he wouldn't have written the gospel of Mark. You know, um, maybe, maybe if, um, you know, things had turned out differently. We don't know what God was doing in that, but we do see how it worked out. And to, I think it's important for us to recognize even in the middle of that, that conflict, the, to not vilify the person we're, we're in conflict with, but to understand, hey, they're a person in process. God's working in them and through this situation and to keep it. Because it is easy to do when we we want to assume the worst about them because it makes us look better. And I think that is the biggest point of application from that passage is you see how the Holy Spirit is still working sovereignly to advance his mission in spite of this setback. 
And yeah. we can mm-hmm. draw, that's not a trite devotional insight. Like we can, we can draw real comfort from that. If you're serving on the field right now and it looks like your team is about to split in two or somebody's going to leave and find another agency or, or move to a different town, God is, is, is completely in control over that. And whatever in your mind you think might be the worst case scenario might be the exact thing that he's ordained to accomplish purposes that you haven't even thought of yet. Uh, we just want to leave that out there and, and encourage people. But we also do want to give some practical thoughts, right? If on, we on, have to. If we have to. Yeah. On, on ways to resolve team conflict. And we talked about a few, Scott, but something that I want to go back to earlier because we kept comparing it to a marriage relationship and, and conflict that happens within a marriage um, do you see any merits in missions teams um, almost covenanting together? Um, just like the local church is a covenant. Maybe if you're planting a church together, that's already happening there. But in other contexts, without that that formal church membership covenant, um, it, realizing that you're not only committing to a field, to an agency, to a sending church, and to a vision, you're committing to teammates. Mm. And that's not something we talk about often. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great um, point you're making. And, and I haven't thought through this a lot. So I'm going to run a risk here and kind of think off the top of my, speak off the top of my head. But sometimes I wonder if our emphasis on the local church and being sent on local church um, doesn't sometimes hamstring us on the field because it's easy for us to say, and, and this was my mentality, um, you know, Alex, you and I are teammates in the field. You're my work colleague but my church is back in Michigan. And so that's the congregation I'm covenanted with. Um, I, I don't think scripture ever says we can't be covenanted to two congregations. There's a one that sent us, but also the one that we're meeting with and working with regularly, even before there's a, ch- a church planted. I think that would have helped me, for instance, if I had seen myself and in, in a type of uh not local church, but maybe it would be. Um, in some situations, it would be. But in a type of covenant relationship with those people where we're submitting to one another and and committed to one another in a way that was less that was that was more spiritually formal than than just like, hey, we're a collection of people that happen to work with the same organization. Yeah. If anything, you see that scripture would probably lead us to prioritize the neighbors that are in front of our face. Yeah. Um, the people that we're interacting with daily, not that we don't honor the authority of the local church, but you also see um, changes in direction that happen in Paul's ministry. Um, you know, he tries to go up into to Asia and the Holy Spirit turns him away and he ends up corkscrewing down to where he hears the Macedonian call. Uh-huh. Um, and then he heads over into Greece. Um, but, uh, you know, the lesson from all of that is he's, uh, he's limited by the technology of his day. He can't report back to Antioch, his sending church, and let them know what's happening every moment. Mm-hmm. But there was an amount of trust that the sending church gave the Apostle Paul as they sent him out and commissioned him. There's you know, there's probably a recognition on their part that they weren't going to necessarily get a lot of instant communication from him, and they were entrusting him to the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would lead him. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were, you know, in Acts 13, the Holy Spirit says, set apart Paul and Barnabas, for the work to which I have called them. That's all it says. It doesn't say send them first to Cyprus, but if they go somewhere else instead, then revoke their funding. <laughs> there's there's a flexibility and recognition there too. And then that does allow Paul to submit to his teammates and to form relationships and trust with them and, and hash things out on the field. Yeah, it's, 
You see this especially in Baptist churches. Um, and it goes right along, I think, with our some of our problems in American culture is that we're so individualistic um, that that we want to resolve everything ourselves. Where there are times where I think that um, maybe our Presbyterian brothers we could learn from because, you know, they have a, a, a group that they would submit to, the presbytery, you know. Um, do we have – we're too slow in getting outside help, I guess is what I'm trying to say, you know, yeah. without getting too theological. Like, Specifically like independent Baptists who yeah. don't have a bigger denominational structure yeah. for so, reporting. So sure. we engage your local church early in the process. Engage your organizational leadership. Ask for outside help. It, you know, we, we tend to view it as a sign of weakness in our culture culture when we need help. Like someone's got to go to therapy. Oh, they got to go to therapy. You know, like they're seeing a counselor. They must be really screwed up. No, like getting outside help is a very good thing. Um, it can be really insightful to have someone outside our current situation and the current pressures to speak into that. You know, so if you're, I mean, if someone's with ABWE and listening, I'd say like, Hey, you know, call, you know, the, your, the, you know, Brad Winkler and member care, you know, engage your executive director. If you're with another organization, you know, engage the, the leadership that you've got around you. If there's a problem with your leadership, you know, engage your pastor to get involved with this and engage other teammates or other people like getting outside people involved, um, not in a gossipy way, but in, a, a, a hum, humble way of saying, I need help, um, could be really instrumental in seeing that resolved. I think that everything you're saying is also assuming a, a, an even more important point, which is that we have to avail ourselves of the means of grace and, mm-hmm. and, and prayer and, and all those sorts of things. But we shouldn't be afraid to go to other people, to look at counseling, um, some of these ordinary worldly things, mm-hmm. right, that the, those are valid and those can be helpful. Um, there's every problem is going to have a spiritual component, but there's also going to be physical, emotional, mental components too um, that are adding to the stress that people are facing. Which I think is another reason why we have to remember the importance of rest, mm, the yeah. importance of time spent together outside of just doing the work, mm-hmm. um, rest and leisure as individuals, but also as a group. Um, being able to you know, let your hair down, uh, for lack of a, a better term. But it may, maybe we put so much pressure on ourselves because as Westerners, we tend to have this messianic complex. Um, it, we, have to, we have to replenish. Yeah. I mean, you think about, you know, that term hangry. Like, you know, <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm hungry and I'm hungry. I'm angry and short with people. Same thing is true with sleep and lack of sleep. And um, one, I think we need to be more gracious with ourselves, but also with our teammates. Like, giving the space that we need to get the rest we need and understanding when you're under a lot of stress and living overseas is a very, very stressful thing. Um, you're going to need even more time to recuperate. And sometimes we just struggle as missionaries with guilt. Like people are supporting us and, and we feel the pressures of living up to expectations. And so you feel like, Hey, that isn't, you know, that isn't a great use of resources to go and take a vacation. Um, but it is if, if the goal is long-term effectiveness, um, this isn't, you know, a, a, a sprint, it's a, it's a marathon. And so, you know, making sure that you do spend time together in leisure. And one thing that does is also allows you to see the people you're working with as human <laughs> as opposed to just teammates or coworkers. Um, but then also make sure you're getting the time alone you need, um, to replenish. And just a little more on that point too, 
in First Kings 19, when El, uh, Elijah is fleeing, fleeing Jezebel, he's just been mm-hmm. on, on Mount Carmel. He's literally had this spiritual mountaintop moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet on the heels of that victory, he ends up in this slough of despond, right? Mm-hmm. He, oh, he, yeah. he ends up um, depressed and, and running um, for his life, literally. And uh, I'll just pick it up in verse four. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came down and sat under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die. Say, by the way, I mean, it's it's real, right? Like sometimes you will just despair of life itself. Mm. You're not you're not less of a Christian for feeling that way. That's yeah. that's human experience. Anyway, he yeah. says, it is enough now, Lord, take away my life for I'm no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And I share that because in stressful ministry situations and depressing ministry situations, maybe related to team conflict, maybe not. Sometimes what you just need is to sleep and eat. And God knows that. Mm -hmm. God God didn't prescribe a a special, um, you know, spiritual exercise routine for him to do there. Mm -hmm. He just knew that he needed some, some sleep and some food. And there's a beauty in there, too. We have to realize that we have needs and we have real uh, creaturely limitations. So, you know, I, I think it's also important, and, and we do this in our training, is develop a shared language for conf- healthy conflict resolution. Um, when, when our missionaries go through training, uh, we, we, everyone uh, goes through certain courses, you know, five dysfunctions of a team. Hey, that's Patrick Lencioni. He's not a, a born again Christian that I know of, but it's a really helpful tool to think through, you know, uh, you know, why are teams dysfunctional and what can I learn from that? And, and, uh, we go through a, another tool on, on conflict, crucial, um, conversations. crucial conversations, which, you know, is crucial conversations the only way to solve a conflict? No, it isn't. But what it does do is allows you to have a shared language. So when I see something coming up, I, I know I, I can read the signs of, of what's coming and I can speak in a way that is going to be at least recognized by the person I'm talking to. I, I remember our team um, was was struggling with this healthy conflict and and um, peacemakers the organization peacemakers gave us uh, a free course of resolving everyday conflict which some some of the concepts in resolving everyday conflict are so basic that it hurts you until you realize I'm not doing those basic things and and some of the tools even that were really helpful to me were, were thinking through like you know you have you know two two polarized types of people. One that's like, um, every time I see a problem, I'm going to confront you. And so you end up getting confronted about, you know, things that you didn't even know were a problem. You know, uh, I've hated you for years and I just didn't have the heart to tell you, you like that, that doesn't do anyone any good. Um, but, but the other part is like, people who just avoid conflict at every means. So like you could really deeply hurt someone and they never tell you and the relationship gets severed and broken and you would never know why. But like a tool like resolving everyday conflict helps you think through like, you know, does this just need to be something that I just keep this, let it go. Um, I let grace cover it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, Alex, you hurt my feelings, but it was really just out of character for you. And I can just let grace cover that. Mm. But is it, is it, or is it a persistent thing that keeps coming up and there's a sin issue involved, um, that I can't just get over. And maybe it's, maybe it's the problem lies within me, but I can't move on. And, um, 
It needs to be talked about so that we both can move on. Like helping you to think through, you know, what are things that just need to let be, that be covered by grace and I'm going to forget about it? Or what are those things that, that need to be dealt with so that we both can move on together? But developing those tools of conflict resolution, I think, are so important. Yeah, because I, I love that phrase. What, is, what does grace need to cover? We're so hesitant to just lavish grace on, on other people. We'll lav it all, lavish it on ourselves yeah. all the time. But, you know, first Corinthians six, why not rather be defrauded? You know, Paul says yeah. to the believers that are suing each other and just to give an example too, of what you're talking about with shared language and how important that can be. I was a part of a church staff that really valued vocabulary. Mm. And, um, so we had these short little phrases that some of them were goofy and most of them were drawn from different, you know, Patrick Lencioni type things and different professional development books. Um, but it was effective. Uh, so one phrase that always got kicked around was fill the gap with trust. Mm. The idea being when there's a, a relational gap of, of conflict of some sort between you and another person, they did yeah. something that you didn't understand. Yeah. Just, you know, the, and they would talk about the, the, obviously the tendency is to assume the worst mm -hmm. and to assume the worst mo uh, uh, motives on the part of that person. Mm -hmm. Well, when, whenever there's a breach, whenever there's a gap, fill it with trust, just and that, that became a way of proactively reminding yourself, I am simply going to assume everything that this person did was was from the best motivations possible or that mm -hmm. it was a mistake. I'm going to take it upon myself to assume that automatically without them having to prove themselves to me or anything like that. But all of that whole explication of that idea was contained in that phrase, hey, fill the gap. Yeah. Fill the gap with trust. Um, yeah. And being able to, to throw around a, a phrase like that that you guys have, as a team, have, have worked out together. Another one is, uh, this is actually Craig Groeschel. Um, he, he talks about how he's had a tendency to swoop and poop. <laughs> which is which is somebody who uh, doesn't handle crucial conversations at the right time. They're maybe they're in and out of the office and they don't make time for other people. And they just come in and they give a critique and then they head out. Um, and and for whatever reason, it's, it's, you know. So he uses this phrase "swoop and poop," and you know that one stuck around with me because I have a tendency to swoop and poop um, <laughs> to come in and and to to poop on somebody's day. Um, but uh, develop a language because it is useful. Mm -hmm. um, it'll give you the shared tools to just remind each other of these deep, important conflicts in a way that's quick and memorable. You know, an, another um, you know, an, another piece of advice may be that as missionaries are really good, or at least we, we should be really good at coming in and studying a culture and learning that culture. Um, but in the process of that, we can often ignore our own team's culture that's forming around us. And so I would just encourage missionaries, you know, be as much of a student about the, your own culture as a team, that unique group of people that God's bringing together. And sometimes it's not just, you know, your own organization. Sometimes it's several organizations joining together, or sometimes it's, it's your organization of people from, you know, North America and it's international people and the national partners you're working with. Um, but but take the time to really think through well and pray over your own team's culture, not just so focused on the, the people that you're there uh, supposedly to serve that you forget about the ministry that's right, up, right in your face with your own team. Because we often don't see our own blind spots. Yeah. We? Oh, yeah. But if my ministry is only about mobilizing outside people and every day I walk over the people that I'm working with here in the office and crush them because I'm so focused on the mission, uh, 
I don't think God's pleased with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, God, I think we'll have to give a reckoning one day to say like, but, but done for it. I put it in front of your face every single day, you know, Alex and Terry and Brittany and the people in your home, you know, Tara and your kids, you know, you crushed them because you were so focused on what you know, this, mm-hmm. it's this intangible other and uh, so pay attention to the people right in front of you. You might find one day your greatest ministry wasn't, you know, the, the national that you led to Jesus, but the people that you ministered every day just in your own, the context of your own ministry team. And that is advice for goers and thinkers, because that applies to all of us at home, no matter how many ministry opportunities God gives us. We can't let the temptation to idolize that rob us of the the duty and joy of mm. loving our wife and kids well and our coworkers well and yeah. the people in our church. And and we might not think that that has as much inherent value because, oh, well, they're all saved already. And no, if you can't love your Christian neighbor, how are you going to love your unbelieving neighbor? Yeah. It's, it's that simple. And maybe that's a good place to wrap things up. Although you mentioned that uh, if, if somebody is in need, particularly within the ABWE family, uh, to reach out to our member care team, to reach uh-huh. out to Brad Winkler, our director of member care. We mentioned some of those resources. Crucial Conversations is one that our organization uses. Five Dysfunctions of a Team is one that uh, actually in our, in our own headquarters we'll be going through in the month of February. Um, do you have any other things that you would add? Uh, you know, I want to just give a word of advice to pastors. So now I'm kind of straddling two worlds again. Um, I still work for ABWE, um, and I also work for a local church. Um, uh, and that would be pastors. You, you know, we have a especially see it with pastors that are really engaged in missions. They love their missionaries and they're invested in their lives and they see and the, the, the spiritual vitality that's there. Um, and it can be a tendency either to do one of two things, which I think are both mistakes. And that would be either on the one side, assume that the mission leadership are the experts. And as such, you've delegated all the authority to them. And so you're not going to get involved. You're going to trust the leadership all the time. Um, well, certainly, you know, as an AB, you know, as a mission leader, I've appreciated the trust. But, but I also think it, it's important that you are there to, to, to also be a check and be helpful with your missionary. The other ditch, which I think is even more common, is that they always are taking the side of their missionary and assuming that every every single thing they've heard from the missionary is true, everything they saw on the field um, you know, was perfect, and that the, the, the must be the mission leader that's wrong or the other teammates that are wrong. And so sometimes pastors will swoop in and just, you know, this is what needs to happen without taking the time to realize the situation may be more complicated than what was told them, um, that they're that, that just to, to slow that process down. And, but I think a pastor that is engaged is such a blessing to the missionary and to the organization when they take the time to ask good questions, um, to seek out and draw out the experiences of the missionary and the experiences of the senior leadership or the, the field leadership. Um, and to really enter into that place as a, as that, not, I want to say neutral because I don't want them to be neutral, but as but as that that spiritual leadership and spiritual authority that's been given to them to really help work through that situation. So that would just be my advice to a pastor: don't don't withdraw from it, but also don't just assume um, that the, the that what you know from your initial contact is always the whole story. It's probably the whole story as they see it, but. But there's also other perspectives that I think would be wise to be taken into account. Because what does the book of Proverbs say, right, that 
um, d- you know, one person sounds right until the next one states their case. Yeah. And you have in the Old Testament as a principle of the law, and Paul applies it to elders in the mm-hmm. New Testament, don't accept o- any testimony apart from two or three witnesses, two or three independent lines of evidence. Um, you might love an individual very much, but don't take just their word for it. Be very slow to bring accusation against other believers who are in ministry and who are just trying to figure it out just along with the rest of us. Some of the best changes that we've seen have become have come because of a pastor getting involved in the situation, patiently working through that and holding the missionary and the mission into account in some ways and watching that get entering into the long process of seeing that because, you know, bringing some perspective to the table. And I, I appreciate that. We've I've had many conversations with pastors that have gotten involved in a situation have been such a blessing. Um, and that is the way I think an organization like ABW, we can work really effectively while with the local church. And, and I just want to give one last thing t- to missionaries as well. I mean, last for me, you can have the last word, Alex, but, <laughs> um, but that would be, um, when you're at that point of like throwing it in because it isn't going anywhere, um, don't be quick to do that. God may say, maybe saying to you, you know, maybe may, maybe there is a time for a Paul and Barnabas moment. You know, in our situation, it was we started a new team in a new field in a new in a new city, and it was fantastic, and and a lot of good things happened out of some conflict. Um, I think three different locations were started because of that, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, so it was a uh, you split on good terms and decided yeah. mm-hmm. three new teams, and that was yeah, there was, yeah, it, okay. it wasn't like fast. Um, yeah. It didn't just explode into that, but, but that's eventually what en- ended up happening. And it wasn't and, like we can't work together. It was like, hey, we can accomplish our objectives if. We, you do that, I do this. Yeah, I don't want to oversimplify it, but I also don't want to go into too much detail yeah. here. But um, but th- th- there was a lot of good that happened yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and things that I think in retrospect, we go, okay, there was God's sovereign hand was involved in that. Mm. Also, I would say, um, make sure, to, like we talked about before, um, before you make a big decision, take a vacation. <laughs> Um, take a long enough one that you can realize how tired you are and get the rest you need. You know, and I, I just, I'm only bringing that back up again because I do think that so many of the problems on the field could be solved with a retreat that involves spiritual refreshment, good counsel, lots of rest, you know, maybe some familiar food. <laughs> um, and as pastors listening to that, you know, make sure that, that you give the, you give license to your, to your missionaries that they feel pressure from you to get the rest that they need because missionaries are probably instead mm-hmm. feeling more guilt wow. um, about I mean, I, pressure them to rest, not pressure them to how many people got baptized this month. Sure. And, and some missionaries need that pressure. I'm yeah. not saying that yeah. they don't, but I, the majority of the missionaries I know don't struggle with, um, with laziness. They struggle with overwork, which eventually will lead to laziness once they are burnt out. Um, you know, you know what I mean? And so, uh, when and that all exasperates team dynamics issues, all of those things. So anyway, that's my last, you know, little thoughts there. That's that. good. That's good. Um, this is helpful and applicable for anybody, not just missionary teams, but we want to also hear what you have to say. If you have any other questions, let us know. Um, Scott, thank you for sharing your personal insights today too. Thank you everybody for listening. 
If you want to get more great content on theology, missions, and practice, go to missionspodcast.com. And while you're there, make sure that you subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite listening platform. And please make sure that you also give us an honest review and a five-star rating. And don't forget to be sending your questions to alex at missionspodcast.com, along with any other ideas for future episodes. Until next time, thank you for joining us.